right, call the meeting to order. Welcome everyone to the March 29th MPOJC Urbanized Area Policy Board. And uh, we have a recognition of any alternates. None that I'm aware of. Okay. Uh, the second item would be considering the approval of the meeting minutes. Do I have a motion? Move approval. Second. Thank you. Uh, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed? The motion passes. Uh, the third item is the setting of the next board meeting, meeting date, time and location. Yeah, we're looking at May 31st. Uh, that's the last Wednesday in May, keeping with our typical day um, and time at 4.30. Uh, I believe it'll be in Coralville. I've been working with Coralville staff, and I think we're good to go, um, but we'll make sure to follow up with you a couple weeks before the meeting and, and let you know that. All right, good. Uh, is there any public discussion of any item not on the agenda? I'm not seeing any the public go. Uh, Jumping to that one. Uh, we move on now to transportation planning. And the first item there is to consider approval of the locally determined projects for the MPOJC fiscal year 2024 transportation planning work program. Yeah, thank you, Kent Ralston, Executive Director. Uh, each spring, we compile a list of work projects for our transportation planning work program for the following fiscal year. Um, the exercise is required by the Iowa Department of Transportation and the Federal Highway Administration, but more importantly for us, we use it to make sure we're doing the work you all ask us to do, make sure we get the data collected we need, uh, and then get the projects done uh, on time, of course. Um, in your packet, there's a list of about 33 projects. Some are very specific and some are a little more general in nature. Um, this is usually the point in time where I say this represents anywhere from probably a quarter to a third of the work we'll actually do this year. Um, not a week goes by or even a day usually where one of your staffs aren't contacting, contacting our group to ask for work to be done. Uh, that said, um, we're aware that additional projects and data collection needs come up throughout the year and we usually try and uh, take care of those as best we can. If a project that's requested will take uh, a significant amount of time, we will usually bring that, we will, we will bring that back to this board for approval before we um, um, expend a significant amount of staff time on those projects. Um, what we ask of you today is that you please review that list of attached projects and consider approval of the locally determined projects for the FY24 Transportation Planning Work Program. Uh, the Technical Advisory Committee did look at this list last week and approved it unanimously. Um, also important to note is that you'll receive the entire work program uh, here at your May meeting for approval. This is just really for, to get this uh, list of projects in front of you to make sure we're not missing anything major. Happy to answer your questions about any of the projects or the process or provide any clarifications that are necessary. I was curious about, um, I was looking, of course, at focusing on the Iowa City projects. The um, number four, the assist with Melrose Byington Grand Avenue circulation study. What is that? Yep, so that is part of, I would say, part of the Burlington Street uh, reconstruction project. So as part of the Burlington Bridge replacement, I guess that's probably a better way to say it, um, we're also looking at that loop, basically sort of the one-way loop. Um, so it'd be south of the field house, uh, sort of, what would it be, no, excuse me. Be east of the field house, west of the law building, and in and around that area, um, trying to determine if we can change that back to the two-way corridor. Um, the university's got some big plans to change things in that area as well, um, so we've been working with them on that. Okay. Yeah. And I think the idea is uh, to get out in front of that part of the study so when the time comes to replace the bridge, we can kind of package it up as one big project. That's a good question. Good, thank you. Uh, entertain a motion. I have one question, oh, and this I'm is sorry. just from sort of a, a lack of understanding or lack of knowledge. Um, with this list, you're here to support the efforts of the various municipalities, correct? Correct. That, yep. So there's no prioritization in here. It's, or do you do kind of a, an overarching study to recommend to the various heads of departments, say, hey, here's the 33 projects, but you know this one really seems to 
I don't know. Yeah, if right. It's a matter of resourcing or time or what. How, how do you are? How does that work? Yeah. No, it's a good question. So, so we request these projects from your staffs, uh, primarily the engineers. Um, when we get those projects back, a lot of the projects we've already had some relationship with at some at some point in time. So we kind of know where that fits in with what maybe the university might be looking to do or what Coralville might be looking to do. Um, but then when we when I bring the work program back to you at your next uh, meeting, you'll see that it has quarters. So we break it down by quarter, not so much into, we don't get so granular as to break it down in the month, but we break it down into quarters. And we present and we, we have some back and forth with the staff that actually uh, submit these projects to see if our timeline works. Um, that said, we can't do all the work in quarter one or quarter two, so we kind of try and distribute it as even as we can. Um, but if we know, for instance, the Iowa City or the Iowa City Council needs something done in quarter one, we'll do our best to get it done in quarter one. So it's just it's a little bit loose in that way, but we really, um, like I say, break it down into quarters as best we can and then try and satisfy the needs of everybody. Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks. Mm -hmm. I just want to be sure, Kent, on number 31, which is the Crandic Corridor uh, studies from the DOT, is that anything different than we've already been talking about? Okay. No, they've, they've actually had that one in there for a few years, and the DOT, um, if you recall, I actually helped fund the passenger rail studies. So uh, Kathy Cutler, who's the District 6 planner, just keeps asking to put those in there just for their own reference, I think. But yeah, this, so, um, so yeah, number 32, like Laura says, assist with the, th or excuse me, number 31, assist with Crandic corridor studies. That would also include the bus rapid transit study that we're currently working on. Yep, good question. Any other questions? Do you, uh, does staff maintain a little a longer list in just in terms of FYI? Um, we, I mean, we of course, if asked, could tell you what we've been doing. We, I used to put together an annual like executive director's report, um, and that wasn't my idea. You know, that was something that trickled down from directors before me. I stopped doing it just because it turned into a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, and in talking to some board members at the time, I said, you know, is this really valuable? And it was like, well, it's nice to have. But so I sort of got away from doing that. Um, certainly, I can do it again. It just, for the time, I sort of drifted away from doing that a little bit. But the, yeah. the, the reason for that question is we have placed on our five-year road pro, uh, project list a potential roundabout that would be done in uh, conjunction with Coralville and fiscal 27. Mm -hmm. And just wanting to ensure that that's on everybody's yep. radar in the coming years. Yep, and it would be because we solicit annually for these projects, so it should it should pop up. Good question. Any further questions? Seeing none, can I have a motion, please? Move, move to approve the uh, locally determined projects for MPO JCE fiscal year 2024 transportation planning work program. I'll second. Any further discussion? None. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Anyone opposed? Motion passes. Thank you. The next item is B, consider approval of a resolution regarding federal functional classification designations for urbanized area roadways. Thank you. Um, Emily Bothell, Senior Associate Transportation Planner. So in advance of our surface transportation block grant program allocation, we reach out to MPO communities to see if they need to amend the federal functional classification system map. The classification system is a hierarchy of five roadway classes and identifies which roads are federal aid routes. And only 35% of our total roadway network can be on this map. The significance of the system is that federal funding can only be spent on roadways that are functionally classified. Um, so if a community does anticipate receiving federal funding, such as our STBG funding um, for a local road, then that um, route would need to be on this map. And if it is not, um, we would uh, want to amend that and make sure that it be on the map if possible. Um, last fall, we began working with local communities and we received approximately 29 miles of amendments as shown in the table. Um, we in turn forwarded the requested amendments to the Iowa DOT and we received pre-approval for 13.94 miles of roadway. Table one shows those roadways that were pre-approved, those that were denied, and then the comments by the DOT as to why those roadways were denied. 
Um, at their March 21st meeting, the Technical Advisory Committee unanimously recommended um, amending the Federal Functional Classification System map to include those 13.94 miles of roadway. Um, and today we are asking the board to consider the committee's recommendation and authorize the board chair to sign the resolution that is attached to the memo. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have. Um, to clarify, in total we have approximately uh, four miles, four to five miles of new roadway. So these would be local roads that are now added to the system and eligible to receive funding. Um, the map shown here, um, are it represents all of the, the roads that were submitted for amendment. And then the, um, the numbers that have a red circle around it, those are the roads that were approved by the Iowa DOT, just to give you an idea of the location um, and then the scope across the metro. I was going to mention, you can see in your packet, you can see where the DOT gives those, um, they give their rationale for why projects are denied, like Emily was saying. And I just wanted to mention that the DOT has a pretty, um, they have a very fine-tuned methodology for doing this. And they go into some detail about why each project was denied if denied. So when the projects come into us, we don't sort of pre-screen them and say, no, you shouldn't ask for that roadway. Just based on our own uh, experience, we just say, that's fine. You know, you give us what you want. You ask for what you want. We provide that to the DOT, and then they actually go through that process. So um, like I say, it's a pretty, pretty robust process that they use. And uh, you can see in some of the denials, they get pretty detailed and one more point of clarification it's based on how the roadway is functioning today not how it will function in the future so if there's new development proposed in a year or construction that's starting right now um, that won't be considered until the, the traffic is actually on the road that's a good point point. and then also with the different classifications I would say that for our purposes at the MPO um, which is really the only purpose we have for your organizations as well is that it really just matters if they're classified or not it doesn't matter quite so much if it's a major <coughs> arterial or a minor arterial or a principal arterial um, it, it does matter for different things but for the purposes of our funding as long as it's classified it's classified and then that makes it eligible so that's really it really just like Emily stated, it really just matters that uh, it's classified if you're going to apply for funding through the organization, through the MPO. Emily, I had asked our planner about this list. If he knew about it, he did, because there were a lot of denials on there. But a lot of the comments were that what you just said, that the roads weren't really being used yet. They might be in place, but they've only been there for, say, six months or so. How often is this list reviewed? Um, and is this are they updated here with new miles but also new categories potentially so we review this every um, year in advance of our stbg funding which is um, allocated every two years so every two years we'll go ahead we'll take a look at this um, now say we're bumping we're bumping up to that 35 percent threshold so there will be a point at which we cannot add any more roads so some roads may need to come off or some adjustments would need to take place we just need to build more roads or build more roads so then our total goes up that's an option too thank you yeah yeah and it's not to say we couldn't do this more often but for the purposes of our funding eligibility we just try and, and do this in advance of the funding decisions every two years but if there's a reason to do it uh, annually we could certainly do that as well just takes a little bit of time any more questions hearing any more questions uh, may I have a motion please uh, Mr. Chairman, I would move the resolution authorizing the amendment of the federal functional classification system map incorporating the uh, recommendations from the TTAC. Second. Any further discussion? <coughs> Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Anyone opposed? Thank you. The motion passes. Uh, the next item is consider approval of the MPOJC surface transportation block grant funding allocations. Thank you. Emily Bothell. Um, this year, $9.3 million in surface transportation block grant program funding is available for distribution in our Iowa City area. And this is for programming in fiscal years 27 and 28. Our STBG program application was made available on February 1st. And we received a total of five applications from five entities requesting approximately $16 million. Attached to the memo is the STBG project scoring criteria, um, a summary that lists each applicant, the project description, project cost, the local match, 
our staff scores, and then the technical advisory committee recommendation. The applications were also made available online for your information as well. I will provide a brief overview of each of the projects, starting with Iowa City's Burlington Street project, along with the Technical Advisory Committee's recommendation, and will allow each community a chance to provide any comments. Um, the Technical Advisory Committee recommended um, approval with a vote of 10 to 1, um, and this is contingent on an amendment to the MPO's long-range transportation plan to include Coralville's Dubuque Street Northeast and Forever Green Road project. So all projects that receive funding are required to be in our long-range transportation plan and on the federal functional classification system, as we just had talked about. Project scores are meant to be one tool for consideration in your deliberations, and they are not meant to be um, based, the recommendation is not meant to be based solely on those scores. Um, funding can also not be apportioned strictly according to the population of the MPO community, so just keep that in mind. After the brief overview of all projects, we will be asking for a, an approval of the apportionment of STBG funding. So unless there are any questions at this time, I will give a brief presentation, um, go over the location of each of these projects just to give you an idea of where they are, what's included in them, and then again allow the community to provide any comment if they choose. So the first project is Iowa City's Burlington Street Highway 1 Bridge Improvement Project. This is for the replacement of two Burlington Street and Highway 1 bridges over the Iowa River and the reconstruction of portions of Grand Avenue, Byington Avenue, and Melrose Avenue to allow for two-way traffic on street bicycle facilities and pedestrian accommodations, along with the rehabilitation and replacement of the pedestrian overpass that crosses Riverside Drive. This project would provide for continuous bike lanes from Melrose Avenue to downtown Iowa City. This project is in the long range transportation plan. Burlington is on the federal functional classification system and the total project cost is $30 million. Iowa City is requesting $9.3 million in STBG funding and the technical advisory committee recommended this project receive $7.3 million. Iowa City, would you like to add anything? Okay. Can I ask a question? Yes. How does this work since functionally right here, this is actually also Highway 1? Yeah, so this is, this is going to be a joint project with the DOT. So the way it works right now, um, and I can never keep this straight, Rod, is that the DOT actually owns one of the two bridges. I think Iowa City owns the South Bridge, if I'm right, but uh, okay. the DOT owns one bridge, Iowa City owns the second okay. bridge. The idea is that this will become one bridge. Um, you know, design hasn't really started yet, but I think right. the idea is that it makes sense to have one bridge. Um, and then I believe the DOT has said they would maintain ownership of that bridge. There'll be some kind of um, agreement, of course, but. Okay, which is probably why Iowa City's only asking for 9.3. Uh, that's all of STBG funds. That's so all they asked for 100% of the funds. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Yep, and, yeah. yep. Yeah. and uh, of course that doesn't, yeah, they're, the but, not, but, but that $30 million is not going to be all Iowa City's responsibility. Correct. That's what I was just going to say. Correct. Yeah. yeah, they'll be looking to the University of Iowa, I think, for some of that funding because they have utilities there. Right. Um, the university also owns a portion of the uh, spiral pedestrian bridge. Um, I believe it's 25%. Um, so, yeah, there'll be DOT funding there, uh, likely some university funding, and then Iowa City funding as well. Uh, MPO funding, per perhaps. I would. Bridges are rated as structurally deficient, correct? Yeah, one of them is, that's right. Yeah, I, I was, this sort of speaks to that question I had on the, uh, the one-way system on the um, west side of the bridge, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I'm, you know, I, my fellow counselors know I'm, ne I'm never really keen about one-way streets, so I'm happy to see that uh, this one will be considered uh, going to two-way, and then you mentioned, Emily, the bicycle network would be expanded. Um, so I hadn't, I hadn't appreciated how this was more than just a, bit, a bridge project. There's some additional work as well. Is, is the pedestrian, the swirly, is that also considered part of it? It will be considered as part of the project, correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine yeah. it would, yeah. I think the, the idea is that there'll have to be some kind of pedestrian overpass. Um, 
I just don't think anybody knows what shape that's going to look like yeah, at this no, point in time. It just, it's, yeah. it looks like a very scary shape right now. Yeah, yeah, it's not. My understanding <laughs> is it's not ADA compliant is uh, part of the issue. That's what I was going to say. It's hard to sure. Yeah, I think it's not ADA compliant, if I'm not mistaken. So um, they'll want to bring that into ADA compliance, and that could look yeah. wildly different than this. But I think that will come out in design. Yeah. Also keep in mind, um, Rod, to your question about the $30 million project, you know, these are ballpark cost course, estimates right. because, you know, design hasn't started. So I would I would venture to guess that most of the projects you'll hear Emily outline today are rough estimates. Um, and that only really matters in that our funding is 80-20 match. So 80% can come from um, the MPO, 20% has to come from the local. So uh, it only matters insofar as the total project cost has to allow that 20%. However, I think all of the projects uh, that we'll talk about today were far more than we have available, so I think that really doesn't play into this too much. One other thing I just note about this project, not that it would necessarily be with the bridge, but our council at least has raised the question of what happens with the roller dam at the time that that is all reconstructed. So that's at least on our minds, and of course the folks uh, further north too are talking about theirs, so just we're aware of it. Yep, that's correct. Okay. Moving on, the University of Iowa, and I know that this is hard to read, it's probably very fine print. Um, the University of Iowa submitted a project for the full reconstruction of Hawkins Drive from Finkbine Commuter Drive to Lot 43 East Access Drive. Hawkins Drive will remain four lanes and a 10-foot wide shared path will be added on one side of the road. A right-hand turn lane will be added on Finkbine Drive at the Hawkins intersection, and traffic signals at Elliott Drive will be, will be replaced and then upgraded at Lot 43 Drive. This project is not in the long-range transportation plan, but Hawkins is on the Federal Functional Classification System map. The total project cost is $5,775,500. The University of Iowa is requesting $2 million $89,000 in STBG funding, and the Technical Advisory Committee recommended this project receive $0 in funding. I'll just take the opportunity to mention that, um, like Emily stated in her opening remarks, if you receive funding from the MPO, your project has to be in our long-range plan. This project isn't, but that also is not unprecedented because if you, you all remember our long-range plan, I think most of you have sat in on uh, at least one round of long-range plan every five years that's due is that it's hard to predict exactly what projects you're gonna need funding for, um, for a lot of different reasons. One is that your um, roadway crumbles quicker than you thought it would, that there's uh, a lack of funding for that project that was there before. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why this would happen. Um, and as Emily mentioned, if, uh, for instance, this project should, re should receive um, an allocation today, we will just need to make sure it's contingent on a long-range transportation plan amendment, which we will just bring back to you at a subsequent meeting. Um, so we just have to keep in mind that we, if we do this, then we also have to be prepared to make a long-range plan amendment, which really isn't um, a big deal. It's not unprecedented that we've done that in the past. So just wanted to point that out. I'd like to say a few words because all, all my supporters are here, as you can see, for, for the. Uh, I'm closer. I, I, <laughs> um, I think we probably surprised some folks when we uh, brought this forward this year. Uh, Kent probably has known about this for a couple years. Um, we've seen this coming, um, the rebuild actually of the, uh, the entire corridor from Finkbine to Melrose uh, for some time. And with the added 10-year capital plan that we have going on between the hospital and the university, we're just trying to get our ducks in a row. So I, I did attend the tech community uh, along with Louise. Uh, I do have a kind of a different role than, than uh, you guys do as an elected official. I'm also an operational person. So um, I do wear a couple hats. Um, there are a few institutional roads that are on the federal classification system, as Emily just noted, and Hawkins is one. Um, we thought that the regional significance of the road did warrant um, consideration for the federal funds. Uh, generally, the university takes care of the university. We understand that. But because of who and how and what we host here, which is everybody, right, when you think about it, whether it's a football game, a basketball game, or a doctor's visit, is why we decided about a year ago to, to push this forward. So. Um, I've had a lot of discussions with your, uh, most of your engineers on this and to try to just clarify the role and I understand their position as well. I will say it's unfortunate that we're up against the Burlington Street Bridge because that is also a huge asset to the university and we understand that. And that was really well conversed at the tech community. 
So really in short, um, I, I just at least hope, I, I've been trying to figure out my motions driving back my conference today of how I would approach this, and I think I'm just going to let it go with the TAC committee's recommendations and not really make a, too big of a fuss, but do just want to be open and maybe answer some of your questions, um, if you have any, about why the university decided to pursue now, um, because I do think we will try again, because this corridor does need some love. Uh, since the Children's Hospital was constructed, it's been um, failing in certain areas, and, and we're gonna do what we can and we keep fixing it, but um, we, we are a partner as well, um, and we thought that our ask was relatively small. Uh, it was a little under 30% of the project cost. So with that, and as these discussions move on today, if at all, uh, I can answer any questions you guys have, but yeah, um, I'm sure it was a surprise, um, but there, there, we thought we had good reasoning, so thank you. Yeah, I would, I would mention just one thing too. Um, the university has been a, a partner on projects that have received funding in the past, but had never applied um, as a, a solo applicant. Part of that is, is because there was a determination made by the Federal Highway Administration, I'll say 15 years ago now. I don't know when it exactly ended because it didn't end until we asked again. So there was a determination uh, 10 or 15 years ago, the last time we asked, that they said, no, the state of Iowa actually isn't an eligible applicant. We asked again because this project was going to pop up and Aaron and I had some discussions about it. Um, I contacted the DOT and the FHWA again, this time with a d different determination, and they said, yeah, there's no reason the university can't apply. Um, that may be due to legislation and different reasons, but anyway, the determination was different. Um, and the university has been an applicant before, a co-applicant with Iowa City on some projects. Uh, this time they were, they were just able to apply uh, by themselves. Mm -hmm. So can you provide any feedback? Um, I was gonna ask why, but Erin is graciously, you know, I'll defer to her um, not wanting to fuss over it. Yeah. But can you provide any feedback why uh, the committee didn't recommend any funding? Um, I think so, uh, and Louise, Louise was at the meeting, of course Erin can, can share as well, as well as the staff, but, um, you know, I think at the end of the day without sounding too forward, uh, you know, the communities want money for themselves, right? There's no surprise there. Um, you know, I think, it, my perception is, is that probably like Aaron has stated, that the university has other funding sources available to them. They've not really been a player, so to speak, before. And I think for those reasons, it just kind of colored the conversation that, you know, maybe we should just lean a, lean a different direction, I think. Um, there was something else uh, mentioned that I will that I will bring up. Um, the city of Iowa City also said, "Hey, like we talked about with the Burlington Street Bridge project, um, they sort of made the pitch that the university is going to be some form of partner with the Burlington Street Bridge project moving forward. Again, because there's utilities there, there's the roller dam uh, that provides water for for the university and all kinds of things. Um, and I think the idea was was that if the bridge project's thirty million dollars, and let's say Iowa City receives seven. Well, now you've essentially got a $23 million project. The idea, I think, then, is that when they go to the university to ask for their percentage or number, whatever that is, um, contribution in the future, that if it's percentage-based or even number-based, I guess, that their contribution would then be smaller because the project cost has, got, has been lessened. So um, I know the public works staff at Iowa City mentioned this. They couldn't promise that that would happen because there's politics and all sorts of things that go into these discussions. But I think the idea was sort of, um, sort of de facto that the university would, I guess, receive some of these funds in that way, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, now, again, whether or not that comes to fruition, I don't think anybody knows, but I think that's the idea. And there was, a, I think, a good faith effort to, to at least state that they would try to make that happen in the future. Um, what am I? What am I missing? Other folks that were there. I think and, that we spent some time on that. Yeah, um, um, and as a point of clarification, and uh, the university is huge. Don't get me wrong. And we have a lot of um, I have a lot of people to work with, athletics and housing, and then the academic side and the hospital and uh, parking and transportation, which is my department, which is self-supporting. So when people, you know, the university will take care of it. It's usually a, a conglomeration of how we're going to get it done. And when it comes to roads, we do receive state funding along with all the state parks in the state and all the other board of regents institutions. And every year I get X amount of funds to maintain and repair our roads. And whatever we don't spend on maintenance or snow removal or growing the grass, we roll over into a capital project. So I, in my application, if you guys actually, I don't know if you read all the details, um, it takes us about four to six years to, um, to do a four or five million dollar project. You know, and, and, and the state allows us to go into the red and build back up. And that's how we did the first section of Hawkins. That being said, um, my department also defrays some of the costs for 
uh, roads, especially with campus travels, which is fine, but we are uh, mostly born and bred by uh, fees from employees, from patients and from students. So we are a little uh, cost sensitive to, to some roads. And again, I think we're more than willing to take care of them all, but the more regional ones, again, another reason why we thought it was um, high time to put our foot in the door for more federal broad you know, uh, funding. But yeah, it, I think Jason and Justin and I talked about the, or actually Jason Howell before the meeting, he's not wrong. His idea about differing everybody's cost with the full allocation to Iowa City really hit home with me. That was, I thought, his, strong, his strongest argument because I think he made the motion, didn't he? Mm -hmm. And he's not wrong, you know? And so it's kind of like, it felt like a university project in my eyes against university projects. So everybody's going to win on this, especially the university and all our dorms on the west side. So anyway, okay. it so was my, an exciting meeting. So my, yeah, <laughs> quick follow-up then. Will this project be done? Is it already on your list? Or was this <clears throat> revolving around there being funding from this source? I have enough money to, uh, to do a portion of it. And that's going to be in our next five-year institutional roads plan, which are due to the board in the next couple months. And yes, this segment will be on there. Um, and then after that, we'll just have to push out even further, depending on what happens. Um, and when the new tower starts to go under construction, of when we'll do the last segment, which is uh, the segment tomorrow's. So yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I think they said it better than <clears throat> I can. I, I wrote down that the engineers explained that they partnered with, university partnered with Iowa City, as they mentioned, on other projects. And Jason Havel mentioned two specific projects. And then uh, the university gets other funding sources. They have some other funding sources. And that this project is part of helps the university is part partnered with the university itself you know similar you know so they gave you a really good summary those are my three points I think a little bit of this I'm just guessing too is is track record even though the university's had some joint projects because they're sort of the, <laughs> the new kid on the team it's like you know I think there's a little bit like are we gonna let them in um, and that's I mean that's natural um, you know everybody wants the money as much as money as they can for their community that's their that's their job and that's fair um, but i think there's probably just a little bit of that too any more discussion okay move on to university heights University Heights submitted a project for Sunset Street and Melrose Avenue preventative maintenance and pedestrian improvements. The preventative maintenance will consist of replacing sections of deteriorating street panels, reconstruction of intersection curb and ramps to maintain ADA compliant crosswalks, and the replacement of sidewalk sections that are cracked, uneven, or exhibit out of compliance cross slopes. This project is in the long range transportation plan. Both roads are on the FFC map. The total project cost is $470,000. The University, uh, University Heights requested $325,000 in STBG funding and the Technical Advisory Committee recommended this project receive $225,000 in funding. This is, <clears throat> this is kind of a partner about two years ago, we applied for Sunset Street and we usually break up our projects so that we can make them affordable. And so this is kind of the second part to it and uh, of Sunset Street, panel replacement, pedestrian, just like you said. Thank you. Of course. Uh, can I ask a question? Um, <clears throat> I'm just curious, Louise, what you guys do and maybe if some of the other cities know what they do uh, oftentimes, sidewalk replacement seems like it comes back to the individual property owner. Now, I know that on the one on the west side of Sunset, there's a lot of uh, just basically f privacy fences and not necessarily facing the houses. But um, do you charge the individual homeowner? Yeah, we do. You do. We do. Okay, so these are like uh, also uh, you know ramps and things and okay. Yeah. ADA, ADA compliance, I think, was in yeah, your application, ADA, and some case. roadway okay. panels and things okay. like that. Yep. Okay, so if it's actually a panel in front of my house, I'm going to have some, at least, share of the responsibility for that. You so, mean a sidewalk panel? Yeah. Oh, you would be, yeah, you yeah. would, 
you have to replace it? The whole cost. The, the resident. Yeah. Just like other cities. Well, that's yeah. Iowa City would be the same. In way. Iowa City, <laughs> I've, had, I've had to replace them at right. my old house. That's to to clarify. Okay. Well, it just it was mentioned in that, and that's why I wondered. I to clarify, it was the street panel, street panel okay. replacement, okay. and then it would be yeah. the curb okay. ramps. And okay. So, yep. That makes more sense. I just yes. wanted to but that's clarify. That's a good thing to clarify. Yeah. You did write it kind of wonky. <laughs> the next project was submitted by North Liberty. This is the South Dubuque Street Reconstruction Phase 2. This is to reconstruct and rehabilitate South Dubuque Street within the city of North Liberty from just south of East Sellers Street intersection to the roundabout at North Liberty Road. Existing conditions include a two-lane asphalt roadway in varying condition with minimal gravel shoulders and open ditches. The reconstructed and rehabilitated section would include two vehicle travel lanes, one roundabout at a busy intersection, and a five-foot-wide sidewalk along the urban section. The existing multi-use trail would remain. So the roundabout would be at this intersection here. And this is just south of East Cellar Street. This project is in the long range transportation plan and this road is on the FFC map. The total project cost is $4,480,000. North Liberty requested $2,240,000 in STBG funding and the technical advisory committee recommended $1.1 million for this project. Is there anything North Liberty would like to add? All right now, <clears throat> if we did just a roundabout that would be an impressive project so okay thank you i'm curious five foot sidewalks instead of ten foot the trails on the east side yeah we have a trail okay. there already yeah thank you yep, you're welcome. the last project was submitted by coralville here and I'll do that just so you can get a sense of the area because the pop-up kind of blocks it. So this is for the Dubuque Street Northeast and Forever Green Road roundabout. This is to construct a four-legged single lane roundabout to create a new intersection of Dubuque Street Northeast, Rustic Ridge Northeast, and Forever Green Road. This includes a 10-foot shared use path along the north side of Forever Green Road that will connect to the Dubuque Street Trail. This project is also not in the long-range transportation plan. It is on the FFC um, system map. The total project cost is $2,645,000. They're requesting $2,110,710 in STBG funding, and the Technical Advisory Committee recommended this project receive $675,000. I'll move this out of the way so you can get a better sense. Um, Forever Green Road will come down in some form or fashion this way. Yeah, and I would just mention before um, the board gets into discussion that, as Emily stated, um, the project scores are just one tool. You know, the board is not, you do not have to adhere to the project scores uh, with your discussion and your final determination. Um, and in terms of the scoring, you know, our scoring criteria is imperfect. I think we all know that, and we spent a lot of time discussing that over the years. Um, but I think it's important to know that we spend a lot of time on consistency. So even though it's imperfect, we're at least consistent from project to project to project. So, um, so rest assured, we do spend quite a bit of time on that. So things I think are scored fairly at least. Um, but again, that's just one tool. Um, we can amend project scores, of course. The committee's recommendation is just that, it's a recommendation. Um, and the board can choose to go a, a totally different direction if you like. <clears throat> and we've actually got, Emily's got, uh, she just pulled up here, we've got um, some spaces for different scenarios if we need to do some, some quick math and that sort of thing. So I uh, just wanted to point that out before we get started. I'd just like to mention on the, the final project proposal, I know that on the matrix it indicates that it's being sponsored by the city of Coralville. It's uh, a joint project with Johnson County that's correct. Yep. Um, and, you know, generally the county historically has not asked for a lot of SDBG uh, funds. I mean, so I mm -hmm. ask everyone, 
bear that in mind. Good point. So, Ken, is it the staff that does the scoring? Who does the scoring? Correct. So we, we do an initial round of scoring uh, at the staff level, and then we take we share those with the TAC uh, as early as we can. And they had about mm, 10 days or so um, to sort of uh, stew on those and then ask questions prior to the TAC meeting. Um, and then at the TAC meeting, if we did add one point for which project was it, Emily? We added one point to the University of Iowa's right. project for some stormwater management. That's right. We had missed we had missed something in university's uh, application where they had, they were going to do some stormwater management practices that we had missed. So they received an extra point, and we were wrong. So we worked that out and adjusted the score before it goes to the TAC. Um, but then, if we're agreeing to disagree with a community, which did not happen this year. Um, at the TAC level, then by motion, of course, we can change the score um, should there be a, a discussion. Yeah. So we spend a fair amount of time at the, the staff level, like I mentioned, and then we, we provide, we, we go back and forth, usually with all the communities, at least a little bit on how the scores were received and, you know, did you happen to notice this in our application and that sort of thing. Um, but like I say, this year we added one point for the university's project and otherwise, uh, at the end of the day, we all agreed on the scoring. Is there a sense of when that Forever Green, can you go back to the, mm -hmm. of, of when, so there's going to be a roundabout, but there's not a connection yet to Forever Green, am I looking at that? Correct, yeah, Forever Green will eventually come down, and I'm not certain, Kent, do you know on the timeline? I, I don't know. Um, no, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, so at the end of the day, though, Megan, it'll be a, it'll be a four-legged roundabout, uh, Rustic Ridge, which is the road that comes off the south there, Dubuque, of course, coming in and out, and then the, the new um, Forever Green. But yeah, I don't, know when the, I don't know when that's slated for construction. Well, and my question is similar to what yours was. I mean, can you do this project without, I mean, at this funding rate? Is that planned? Because it's been built into the partnership well i'm i'm you know this is a few years out in the future and so accepting that uncertainty uh you know i suspect that we might have to go back and look at some of the the features uh, and it also depends you, you know we would have to sit down with the city of coralville and see what their circumstances look like because right now what we contemplate uh, is that the county and the city would do a 50-50 cost mm -hmm. share of what the surface block grant doesn't cover mm -hmm. uh, with the funding allocation as it's currently contemplated from TAC. Uh, right now, we expect both the county and the city to individually contribute 266500 uh, at the TAC recommended funding level, our contribution amount would increase, uh, it would put us right around a million dollars each. And when did you want to, I know, I know we, you said a few years just, out. We just amended our five-year plan to add it for fiscal 27. And to clarify, the funding um, is available in fiscal year 27 and 28. And, and also, I'll just add that some at the TAC level, there was some discussion too that um, it's not unprecedented that if a project can't be funded for whatever reason, you know, community has other priorities, whatever the reasons are, um, it's not unprecedented that also in two years we come back with with a similar amount of STBG funds and that a project actually apply for a second round. So that's not that's not unheard of either. Okay, thank yep. you. I just want to mention the important timing of this road is, and you probably all know Liberty High School is just up there a ways, and so the safety concern of that road has been prominent on our minds. Yeah, I'm guessing that, I, I don't know this, but Megan, when you asked the question earlier, this I'm guessing this is a developer-driven uh, project, the Forever Green Road extension, because it's within the subdivision. Um, don't quote me on that. So I'm, to your point about the timing, uh, obviously the roundabout's gotta go in first, so they have somewhere to connect, so. A few years out, at least. 
Any other questions or comments? May I have a motion, please? Are you looking for a motion? Yeah. I motion to accept the TAC recommendations. Second. Any further discussion? And just, and I'm sorry, and just to clarify, that would uh, include the contingency on the long range plan uh, amendment for Coralville's project. Which was the tax recommendation as well. Just wanted to clarify. Okay, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed? Aye. So we have one one opposed, all, all, all the rest in favor. So the motion passes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Next, next item would be an update regarding the fiscal year 2024 transit program of projects. Hannah. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Hannah Neal, Associate Transportation Planner. Um, this is just an informational update. We're still working on completing the program of projects. The DOT was a little bit delayed in uh, releasing some numbers, so we're, we're still finalizing those. Um, Coralville Transit, Iowa City Transit, and University of Iowa Canbus are programming projects for Federal Transit Administration, or FTA, funds in FY24. Um, the projects will be included in the FY24 Consolidated Transit Funding Applications that MPOJC completes for each transit system and as well as in our FY24 to 27 TIP. Uh, not every project listed in the program of projects will be funded. However, to be eligible for funding, they must be in the program of projects. The program of projects will be included in the draft uh, 2427 TIP, which will also be presented to you at your MPO, or I'm sorry, your May meeting. Um, all three transit agencies will hold public hearings and have their program of projects approved as part of their consolidated funding application process by June 1. Normally, the consolidated funding application is due May 1, but the DOT has moved back the date by a month because they were late in getting out some numbers. Um, if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Again, this is just an informational update, so we'll have actual numbers for you at your May meeting. Yeah, usually with this memo, you'd see the list of projects that uh, Aaron's group has, as well as Iowa City and Coralville, listing off the bus purchases, uh, shelters, mechanical type things in their um, shops, uh, anything else they need to use federal funding on. Yeah, thank you. So. Um, but again, like Hannah said, because we were, the DOT was late in getting us, getting us some of their numbers, we don't have that list for you today. But as Hannah mentioned, uh, that list comes to you as part of the consolidated applications in each of your organizations. And then all of those projects are rolled into our transportation improvement program, which you will all see. And the significance is that if your project, um, your, your bus purchase, your shelters, whatever there aren't on the list, then you can't use federal funding for them. Thank you, Hannah. The next item is a verbal update on the I-380 express bus system from East Central Iowa, the East Central Iowa Council of Governments. Yeah, so I asked uh, Brock Grannis from East Chicago to come down and give us uh, an update. He did the same thing last week for the transportation uh, committee. Um, Aaron Shane has shown some interest in this. Uh, in recent months, we've had some conversations about it, as have I had with others. So. Um, we thought it'd be good to have Brock come down, give you an update on, on where they're at with the Express and uh, any questions that you might have for Brock. Yeah. Uh, well, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> As Kent mentioned, I work for the East Central Iowa Council of Governments, ECCOG. Much like the MPO, it is a planning agency, but we also house the Corridor Rides Public Transit Agency. So we have uh, federal transit funds that flow through our agency to support our transit projects. I'll just talk about the 3 Express service, how it's been going, what we see in the future. Um, sorry, you're only getting half my slides here, but uh, the project itself is unique in that it was funded 100% by the DOT as part of the Interstate 80 and 380 interchange reconstruction. It was the first time the Iowa DOT has funded a transit project as a way to mitigate traffic associated with interchange, so it's, it's quite in innovative in that regard. <coughs> 
um, it, the, the role ECCOG played is we kind of oversaw the day-to-day -day administration of the project and thereby selected Windstar lines via an RFP to operate the, the drivers, the buses, day-to-day -day customer service, everything like that. Uh, that relationship has worked really well. Windstar is a very customer service driven organization. So if you talk to some of the passengers on the, the buses, I think you'll hear that they really appreciate kind of how the service operates. Um, I put on there 44 hours as a service a day. So if you're familiar with transit, you know, that's, that's quite intensive, especially for a new service. You know, these buses start rolling just after 5 a.m. and go to about 9 p.m. Then those peak times a day run every half hour. So the way it's set up is very intensive. It's been great because uh, the riders um, take advantage of that, use it a lot. Uh, but looking forward, you know, that's, that's a goal to maintain service at that level. But in reality, you know, it might have to cut back. Um, with that said, the interchange project itself is wrapping up. Um, you'll see by the end of the year it's substantially complete, uh, but this service was able to utilize some of the funds and stretch it out till next June. So we'll go throughout the fiscal year, and right now that's how service, how long the service will last. So some statistics, if you can read this graph, uh, the lines represent each year. You know we do see a good pattern. Uh, that the service follows the academic year. So it picks up in the fall, uh, is lower in the summer. And if you can make out that gray line, that's 2020. Like all transit services, you know, it really took a, a hit during the <clears> pandemic, <throat> but you'll see it really didn't flatline. Uh, we saw good ridership throughout the pandemic. A lot of that was to the University of Iowa. So the essential workers uh, taking advantage of the service continued to use it, which uh, we, we think is great. Uh, my numbers are cut off, but on a normal day now, you'll see between 350 and 400 riders a day, which is very good. Approximately 70% travel southbound in the morning, meaning they're going uh, into Iowa City for work. <clears throat> but there's a sizable number that also travel north, or two-seat rapids in the morning. Uh, we see it, you know, about 7 a.m., 3 p.m. times it's a really peak. You know, if you're at the West Campus Transportation Center, see a long line to get on the buses, similar with some stops in Cedar Rapids in the morning. Uh, it's, it's gone really well. Um, the graph on the bottom just shows that year to year. So uh, we've really seen good growth. You know, it's meeting the projections that we laid out in the beginning. Um, dealing with that pandemic kind of took a hit, but I, I think we're real happy with how it's going so far. Uh, some feedback we've heard from the writers you know, they're happy with how it's gone. Uh, some examples at the University of Iowa is, is now offered their students, faculty, and staff half-price tickets, much like they do with Iowa City and Corville Transit. So that kind of speaks to the normalization of this service, where those commuters are seeing that as, a, as an option to take. University's been a great partner um, as a, they see the benefit to them. Same with Kirkwood. Uh, they started offering uh, passes to their students. Interestingly, this, this service is meant to get folks students northbound, so they, they shuttle them to the Kirkwood campus in Cedar Rapids where there's course offerings that they can't get in in the Iowa City Corville area. Then in Park Cedar Rapids, they are offering discounted passes for people to park uh, in their network of stops. <clears throat> so all in all, you know, it's becoming relied upon service. People are really taking advantage of it, and they are concerned with what's gonna happen once uh, the funding <clears throat> lapses and, and uh, how they can continue to utilize that. So the big question mark is the financial outlook. Uh, right now, the service is about $1.3 million a year to operate. We do see between two to $250,000 a year in fare box revenue. So the fares people pay to ride that. Uh, See, so the rough math comes out to about a million dollars a year of what it'll cost to operate the service. <clears throat> so if we're looking on how we can fund this, much like all other transit services, kind of this uh, three-legged stool analogy, you know, you got about 30% you'd need to come from passenger fares, another 30% from state and federal operating assistance, which ECCOG could play a role, again, as a, as a transit agency. Uh, but the, the crux here is this local assistance. So all transit agencies, you know, have some support from the local governments, whether it's Iowa City, Coralville, Canbus, or even Cedar Rapids. <clears throat> they really rely on those uh, property taxes and funding from that local government, which this service does not have. Um, we do have some possible grant funding you know, we could pursue to, to kind of make up that shortfall. It's you know, a good opportunity, but we, we'd be in the same boat that it's not a long-term solution. 
them, but we're kind of taking those, you know, together as we as we look at this future steps. So to wrap up, um, the the biggest priority now is just talking with the DOT and and trying to convince them that it's a it's a good investment for them to continue to help fund the service. That I think is our first you know, priority, the one we want to focus on the most. You know, if that happens to not uh, continue on, you know, we would like to talk with local governments. You know, it's it's a tough time, of course. We know the environment that you're all faced with, but uh, just mm -hmm. identifying that, you know, it's uh, the public in these um, urban areas that are really benefiting from the service. If not, again, look at the potential grants, you know, to, to make up that shortfall. And then if all else fails, uh, you know, pare down that service level. So we want to, to offer it just as it is now, but in reality, you know, if we need to pare down mm. uh, to meet what, what funding we do have available, you know, that would kind of be the last resort. <clears throat> so that's what I have. I'll throw, you know, you see some interesting pictures. I'll point out this one on the bottom is, is kind of the peak of pandemic. We were able to, to stagger two buses together to help social distance. Um, and continue offering service all along. So once again, thanks for having us. I'll, I'll take some questions. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, one of the things you didn't mention was any kind of outreach to some of the larger employers in the in the uh, corridor. Mm -hmm. And has, has there been any discussion of that? There has. Um, I think that would be a good route to go. Uh, maybe not what we're focused on right away. It's kind of um, I don't want to say the dominoes falling, but you know we're, we're starting with the DOT first, seeing what what um, funding they would be able to commit long-term, future-wise. Uh, but I could see those employers, you know, being a part of it. Um, I pointed out the University of Iowa and Kirkwood as their past programs. That's in some ways, you know, maybe to what you spoke, but. Um, Otherwise, there's not a lot of employers that this service works really great for. I think they're kind of smaller, smaller players. Some of the downtown Iowa City or downtown Cedar Rapids players, but yeah, that, that's noted. The, the service levels have been amazing for such a long, you know, over the robust. Um, the 30 minutes is huge. I mean, we even see dental patients coming from Cedar Rapids. It's awesome. Um, and I think some of the security that people have, especially our employees, is just knowing it's there like if they gotta leave or you know what i mean it's like a legit legitimate um so yeah we're we've submitted some letters to ECCOG to help with the discussion with DOP and we're going to leverage um our subsidization of the program near term because we have to do a lot of relocations coming up for the next couple of years with a lot of construction coming to campus and so when you said june it is june 2024 right correct yeah 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 it's it's been so fun to watch even during COVID, and I have to say, ECPOG and WinStar were incredibly responsive in those panic days when everything was shutting down, but things weren't, like the hospital, mm -hmm. you know, when you're like, what do we do, what do we do, and like, making bus drivers wear masks because of their carrying hospital employees, because whenever, anyway, they were just super responsive, and um, can't find that a lot of places, so we really appreciated your partnership on that. Brock, you mentioned that the, um this was the first time the DOT had funded like to mitigate traffic. So they must have done some kind of quantification of the value of that. Is there anything relating to that that would help us justify the continuing service? I mean, when we're talking, looking at widening 380 and things like that, it seems like this would be a pretty good investment. Yeah, uh, well, that was an argument we took in our first uh, communications with the DOT with all the projects ongoing. Um, they hear that. Uh, I don't think any of them are as large scale as the interchange, but it, they do understand that. Um, it might be more of a question on their kind of back end internal funding streams on what's the what's a solution. But yeah, the big picture is um, they want to see 380 as a multimodal um, highway, mm -hmm. not so much just a roadway. Brock, can you provide any update on how the discussions are going with the transit agencies? Are there plans to, you know, have these answers by such and such dates? Because next June will be here really quickly. Yep, oh, good point. Um, so I, I mentioned our first kind of goal is that DOT. Uh, we've talked with both Kent and the MPO here and then the MPO in Cedar Rapids, just as kind of the first step to, you know, get a sense of, of how we approach that and where we talk with that. Uh, but the other than informal conversations with the transit agency staff, uh, not really laid out a timeline yet. 
yeah, it's, it's coming soon, so we're aware. We discussed um, lately the contract terms and durations that we're currently under. So it's ECCOG contract with Wister now, right? Yes. And then um, what are the expiration dates in terms on that? Yeah, uh, so we renew it on a yearly basis, and that gives them a, a rate increase based on an index. So right now it's through October 2023, and then we'll sign the final extension that'll go through June 2024. I don't know if all of you have ridden the service, but I have. It's really quite nice, and um, it's very, you know, very pleasant ride. I am not a huge fan of driving on 380. It's just not one of my favorite experiences. Uh, the, the Gazette also had an article, an editorial recently, which is worth looking at. It, it had some recommendations as to how to improve it, the service, which I, I tended to agree with. The, the, um, the stop in, in Cedar Rapids was a little bit hard to find. Even having, you know, we arrived there, we went on our, our day and came back and couldn't find, had trouble finding where we had gotten off the bus. So some wayfinding, I think, would be helpful as well as some of their other recommendations. Yeah, Brock, these were brand new buses, weren't they, when the service started? They were, yeah. So, yeah, nice, nice facilities, restrooms on the buses. Um, they really did a nice job, or really do a nice job. Very reasonably priced, too, especially for seniors. All right. Thank you, Brock. Yes, thank you. So I'll, I'll try and keep Brock posted on conversations we have, and we'll bring Brock back maybe, uh, I don't know, three, six months at a meeting and just kind of get periodic updates because I think it's important to know where they stand, and I think... I can speak for most of us that we wouldn't want to see the service go away, so. All right. Uh, next item is the update on the Crandick Bus Rapid Transit Study from Kent. Yeah, thanks. I'll make this really quick just for the sake of time here. Um, you know, we've had a lot of discussions about the Bus Rapid Transit Study um, that the MPO is moving forward with. Uh, the request for proposal has been posted and actually closes on the 31st. Um, I don't know how many bytes we've got, uh, but that closes on the 31st. Uh, assuming we've got some good proposals, um, we then have a team that has the, uh, there'll be several of us on there, but that includes uh, University of Iowa CAN bus folks, Iowa City Transit, as well as Corville Transit, because now since we've shifted to this bus, um, this bus concept, it's important that those folks are at the table, I think. So we'll move in, uh, they'll sit in on the review team, uh, we'll score them, and then of course interview uh, any any good candidates. Um, hopefully hire somebody within the next 30 to 45 days, that'd be my hope. And then my hope is is we'll have the study done by this fall, so we'll see. Um, I think I've been asked by a number of people to make this as aggressive as we could in terms of the timeline because there's a lot of federal funding available and for other reasons. Um, so we're gonna move this along as quickly as we can. Clarifying point, what are the terminus points of the corridor that we're proposing to look at? Is it? Is it Iowa City to North Liberty to? So the idea is that this will mimic as close as we are. The idea is that it'll mimic the passenger rail study as closely as makes okay. sense, I guess okay. is the easy way to say it. So that was basically from Gilbert Street, because it was rail, not bus, but basically from Gilbert Street in Iowa City, South Iowa City, okay. uh, to Penn Street, North Liberty. Penn. So that's the idea. Also, um, one of the complications with the passenger rail study too is just finding out who all is going to pay for the study which they're not huge numbers but it's it's real money um so it kind of depends on who wants to to help fund it and if they have ideas on how far they want this thing to go as well um i'm not saying we'll throw out communities just because they're not you know don't have the funding available but um we'll at least talk to those communities as well and make sure we're we're getting the extents correct but i would say essentially from burlington street in iowa city up to penn street north liberty seems like a logical corridor. I was thinking Forever Green, but I didn't know if it went further. That, was, the, that was an original um, terminus, but it didn't, there was no place to stop, and it didn't really serve North Liberty. Right, Got so it. then on okay. the third phase, the passenger rail study, right. then we have that back up to Penn Street okay. again, too, right. so, yep. Okay, cool. Yep, and like I say, the, the idea um, is to basically mirror those passenger rail studies as best we can, so we can compare them apples to apples and say the cost, here, you know, when you're looking at the cost, when you look at the service frequencies, the number of people we can carry, um, all of those things. Uh, I think if we, if we give, if we venture too far from that, I think it's going to be hard to make a good, solid comparison. So um, that's the idea, at least. We'll see how we'll see what kind of proposals we get from from vendors. 
One, one question that I, it's not related to the study, but I, I wanted to confirm that most of the route does not share uh, the road with other traffic, correct? This, if, if we, if, if we're using the Crandic right-of-way, um, yeah, none of it would be shared. I mean, there's some crossings, of course, but none of it would be shared. Now, whether or not that's the best idea, you know, moving forward, I don't know, and that's what we'll rely on the consultants for. The difference, of course, being from the passenger rail study is with the rail, you can't get off the tracks, where with the bus, um, the, the new hospital comes to mind, is that instead of stopping there at Forever Green Road uh, just by high V and having folks walk to the hospital, a bus can hop off, you know, the tracks, so to speak, go to the front door, swing back around, and then keep going. So, um, and that's what we'll rely on the vendor to the consultants to let us know is what makes the most sense. I've also got an RFP, um, you know, redundancies. I'd like them to show us what redundant, redundancies we have with our existing transit systems, because um, it doesn't make sense just to start this, right? It's all got to coordinate um, seamlessly. So um, hopefully we get some good vendors. I, I bring it up in part because I was, I was watching a, a presentation and it talked about how you know, transit really has to be faster than traffic. Right. I mean, it's sort of obvious in a way, um, mm -hmm. but it does seem that that's a potential advantage of Crandic is that Definitely. it's a completely separate line. So regardless how much congestion you run into <coughs> as a driver, uh, Crandic will be clear of that traffic. Right. And there's even ways at the crossings to give priority um, to buses mm -hmm. as well, right. which CAMBUS does that now with some of their intersections. So we can even give priority to the buses. Have, where you have um, it on the street. Yep, and even keep things sped along even more. Or at the crossing, mm -hmm. you know, at the, right. at the road crossings, yep. Okay. All right. Any other questions? I'll keep this on the agenda from here on, basically, until we figure out what we want to do. Good enough. Thank you. Um, Item four, any other business? If not, uh, I'd like a, a motion to adjourn. Moved. Second. Third. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion passes. We are adjourned. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate your time.